Hello and welcome back to our series on biblical womanhood. We have been delving into Titus chapter 2 and looking at the instruction for the older women to teach the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled or discreet and pure or chaste. And in our last session together, we looked at the instruction for the older women to teach the younger women to be keepers or workers at home. We learned that while some sisters must work outside of the home, our homes are the best and most important places for a Christian woman to work and serve. A godly woman should look well to the ways of her household by taking good care of her home and her family. I encourage you to make sure that your house is in order and your loved ones are cared for before you pursue other things. The scripture is clear that a married woman's life and ministry should be centered in the home. Well, today I'd like to turn to the next specific thing that the older women are to teach the younger women, and that is to be kind. If you would, open your Bible to Titus chapter 2. And we'll read the first five verses of chapter two together. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. The word translated as kind is agathos, from which we get the English name Agatha. It actually means generous considerate, good-natured. The idea is that we should teach the young women to be pleasant, to be agreeable and thoughtful. The very same word is used in 1 Timothy 2.10 where we are told that godly women should adorn themselves with good works, with kind, gracious works. We as women who profess to know the Lord are to beautify ourselves with good works, that is kind, thoughtful deeds. You see, kind words and deeds are what make a woman really beautiful, not her physical appearance. Have you ever known someone that just didn't seem very attractive when you first met them? But as you got to know them better, they became beautiful in your eyes because of their kind, sweet disposition. On the other hand, I'm sure some of you have known women who were stunning outwardly, but because of their hateful, bitter, or sarcastic attitude, after a time, they didn't seem very attractive anymore. This is why men sometimes will leave an absolutely gorgeous wife and go after a woman who's not nearly as beautiful outwardly. My husband and I once had a young pastor come to us for counsel. His wife, without exaggeration, was one of the prettiest women I had ever met. But as he told of some of the cruel and malicious things she had said and done to him, he looked at us and he said, she is one of the ugliest people I have ever known in my life. 
apart from a work of God in our hearts, we all tend to be selfish and self-centered. Every one of us is born with a sinful tendency. Last summer, my two daughters came over for a visit one morning, and my youngest daughter has four children, but the oldest two were at vacation Bible school, so she brought her two youngest children over with her, and I thought it would be just a wonderful opportunity for her three-year-old daughter to play with my other two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter while I visited with my daughters. Well, as it turned out, we didn't do a lot of visiting because we had to keep breaking up the fights between the two of them. We had to keep reminding them, you have to share, be kind, don't hit your cousin, be nice to each other. As any of you with children know, you don't have to teach kids to fight or to argue or to demand their own way, but they must be taught to be kind. And sometimes, even as adults, we need to be reminded to show kindness. So how do we teach the young women to be kind? We teach it the same way. We teach the other things that we've looked at in this passage, by example and with the scriptures. When my children were young, if they were unkind to each other, I would often have them quote Ephesians 4.32 to one another. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. But sometimes we must put verse 31 into practice before we can carry out verse 32. Verse 31 tells us, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. Some of you may need to put away the sense of bitterness, anger, clamor, evil speech, and malice. When the Bible tells us to put away or to put off something, it's the same word that's used to speak of taking off dirty clothing. You're to take off or lay aside the dirty deeds or attitudes that are mentioned here. When children have been playing outside in the mud, we don't just have them come inside and put clean clothes on over their dirty bodies or their dirty clothes. First, they have to take off the dirty clothing, and they must wash and then put on the clean clothing. And some of you, dear sisters, may have some putting off to do before you can put on. This 22nd verse of Ephesians 4 tells us, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self create, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're to put off our former deeds as listed in verses 25 through 29, but we can't stop there. We're also to renew our minds with the truth of, of God's word and then put on the opposite of the sinful behavior that we've put off. It isn't enough for Christians to stop lying. They must also renew their minds with truth and then speak the truth. The thief who becomes a Christian is not simply told to stop stealing. Now he must work so that rather than taking from others, he can share with others what he has earned. Not only are we told to put off sinful speech, but we are to speak words that encourage and impart grace.
And then we come to verse 31, where the Apostle Paul tells us to get rid of bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor. Bitterness and wrath would be violent inward resentment and displeasure against others, while anger and clamor would be the loud, cruel, unkind words by which bitterness and wrath bent themselves. We're instructed to put off slander or evil speaking. This would include all gossip or falsehoods told in order to damage someone's reputation. It would encompass all hateful words that would hurt those to whom or about whom they were spoken. Many of us as children were told the little rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, that's one of the biggest lies that was ever told. Words can hurt, and they do hurt, and sometimes they hurt so deeply that they are never forgotten. In, in fact, Proverbs 18.21 tells us, death and life are in the power of the tongue. A great deal of power lies in the words we speak. By using our words wisely, we can bring healing and encouragement. However, when we use our tongues in an evil way, such as lying, bearing false witness, or being harsh, condemning, or unloving with our words, we can bring discouragement and even despair. Lastly, Ephesians 4.30 tells us to put away all malice. Malice is rooted anger that prompts men and women to design and then to carry out mischief or harm to others. This would be when you do something to get back at someone, to get even with someone that you're angry with. If you don't deal with these sinful thoughts and actions, you won't be able to put on kindness and a tender heart for any prolonged length of time. If you are guilty of these things, if you consistently speak harshly to your husband or your children, if you've displayed bitterness or anger toward a coworker or someone in your church, you need to confess your sin to the Lord and ask for his forgiveness. Then you should go to the one you've held bitterness toward, the one you've spoken to in anger and resentment, or the one you've actually carried out malicious actions toward and ask their forgiveness. Once that's been done, then you're ready to put verse 32 into action. Now you can be kind to one another, tender-hearted and forgiving. We're to love others, and the outward expression of that should be considerate and courteous behavior. Unkindness destroys more relationships than adultery, alcohol, drugs, or anything else. The most important thing you can do to, be, to build relationships is to simply be kind. I know a lady who, she and her husband had a pretty good marriage, but every once in a while they would have problems and struggles in their marriage, and he would ask her, what do I need to do? What can I do to make our marriage better? And she would consistently say to him, I just want you to be kind. Would you please just be kind? So how do we put on kindness? First, we're to be kind in our words and even in the tone of our voice. Many women get into a habit of just speaking in a harsh, sharp tone of voice. And if you struggle in this area, may I suggest that you study the book of Proverbs, all that Proverbs has to say about the tongue. 
Proverbs 18.6 says, A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. Don't invite conflict with your words or the tone of your voice. On the contrary, Proverbs 16.24 reads, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The only way to break the sinful habit of regularly speaking harshly is to put off the unkind tone and replace it with a gentle tone. Every time we catch ourselves speaking too sharply, we should stop and think about what we should have said and how we should have said it. Remember the Proverbs 30 woman not only lets wisdom guide her speech, but she limits her speech to the law of kindness. She doesn't speak words that are hurtful or destructive, but rather words that encourage and edify and build up. Look with me, please, at Ephesians 4 again, back at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, none, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Let no corrupting word come out of your mouths. That means no cursing, no foul language, no demeaning, belittling, or destructive words. We are only to speak words that build up and impart grace. Well, we're not only to be kind in our words, but we are also to be kind in our actions. As Christian women, we should be known as kind women. I love what the scripture says about Dorcas or Tabitha in Acts 9.36. We read, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. What a great reputation to have. It's a wonderful testimony of God's grace when a Christian lady is consistently known to show kindness and benevolence. Sometimes, just doing a small kindness for someone can make their day. When we do kind things for others, it lets them know that we care about them. Just recently, I received a small package in the mail, and when I opened it, it was a book, a book that was very fitting for a season that I was going through. And along with that book was a sweet card of appreciation from a young woman in my home church. The fact that she took the time to thoughtfully write a note and purchase a book that was obvious she had me in mind when she bought it touched my heart and really encouraged me. You don't have to give expensive gifts in order for them to minister to someone deeply. Ephesians 4.32 also says that we're to be tender-hearted. That means we should be merciful and caring about the distresses and the suffering of others so that we're quickly moved to compassion. A godly woman has a tender heart toward those who are hurting. Our model in Proverbs 31 stretched out her hand to the poor and reached it forth her hand to those in needs. Sometimes being kind requires us to consider what would minister to someone or help them deal with a difficult situation. That requires time and thought, and sometimes it requires sacrifice. 
We have many examples in the scripture of women who expressed great kindness. In the fourth chapter of 2 Kings, we read of the Shunammite woman who prepared a room for Elijah to use whenever he passed by their way. We read of the unusual kindness of Ruth as she left her own people to accompany her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Bethlehem after the death of Naomi's husband and her two sons. In her strange new home, Ruth tenderly and lovingly cared for her mother-in-law. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul not only speaks of the kindness of Dorcas, as I already mentioned, but also of Lydia, Phoebe, and Priscilla. We've all read true stories of those who have come to faith in Christ because of the unmerited kindness that someone showed them. Often after they had been mistreated by the one who continued to express gentleness and charity. I'm sorry, but often when they had even mistreated the one who continued to show kindness and charity towards them. As you're putting on kindness, the best place to practice is at home. Exercise kindness first and foremost with those you live with. If you carefully study Proverbs 31, you'll notice that this godly woman was especially kind and good to her family. We're to teach the young women to be the kind of wives and mothers who make home a pleasant place to be. Our husbands and our children should love coming home because of the atmosphere we create there. The German reformer Martin Luther said, let the wife make the husband glad to come home and let him make her sorry to see him leave. Proverbs 14 once says, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish plucks it down with her hands. Some foolish women tear down or destroy their homes with a nagging, argumentative, sarcastic tongue or unkind, ungracious behavior. As Christians, kindness should define us. Martha Peace says, being kind is the hallmark of being a godly woman. Kindness is a biblical way of living. It is a fruit of the Spirit, and it's an evidence of God's gracious work in our lives. The Holy Spirit births compassion, love, and humility in us, and those virtues are what motivate unselfish acts of kindness. While instructing his disciples about the return, about his return on the day of judgment in Matthew 25, Jesus told them that he would separate all the people gathered around him into two groups. On his right hand would be those who had followed him, and on his left would be those who had rejected him. And to his faithful followers he says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. But the righteous ones were puzzled, and they asked the Lord, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison or visit you? And then the Lord gave them an astonishing answer. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. 
Their acts of kindness didn't earn them a right to the kingdom of God, but they were the fruit of God's saving work in their lives. This same tender attitude should be so rooted in our hearts that we perform such acts of kindness without any thought of recognition. In 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 6, the Apostle Paul wrote, As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, and genuine love. Paul was very careful not to give offense in any way that would hinder his proclamation of the gospel. So even in affliction and hardship, he sought to exercise patience, kindness, and genuine love. And dear sisters, we are called to do the same. Our lives are very different from the Apostle Paul and even from one another. So we all will have different opportunities to demonstrate kindness, but we should be anticipating those opportunities. Perhaps there's an overwhelmed young mother with a fussy baby in your church, and you could occasionally watch her little one to give her a break. Or maybe you know a lonely elderly lady who would love to have someone visit her weekly. Maybe there's a new couple in your apartment complex who would be overjoyed to be invited to someone's home for a meal. Look for occasions to show kindness and you may be pleasantly surprised at the blessing you receive in return. We should be kind to others because God has been exceedingly kind to us. Look back with me at the end of Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We're told to be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving, and then we're told why because God, our Father, has shown us infinite kindness, compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. The kindness displayed by our Savior, the Lord Jesus, is the greatest kindness ever shown. He was kind in life, healing the sick, showing compassion to the suffering, washing dirty feet, serving his enemies, and forgiving sinners. And he was kind in his death, which was the most eminent exhibition of kindness the world has ever known. Dear sisters, in obedience to the scriptures, for the good of those around you and for the glory of God, I urge you to confess and forsake any bitterness, anger, slander, or malice that may be dwelling in the recesses of your heart. And by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, put on kindness, a tender heart, and a readiness to forgive. May the Lord bless you, help you, and strengthen you as you strive to follow our dear Savior's example of kindness for the praise of his name and the advancement of his kingdom.